Hello and welcome to the Rooted Together podcast, the podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are in 1 Timothy chapter 5 with an episode entitled, Instructions for a Godly Church. And in this chapter, what you're going to notice, and you probably noticed early on, there's a lot of talk about widows and who is a true widow, who is not, and what to do with those who are, and what to do with those who aren't. And it's easy to read that and become sidetracked into wondering, what is Paul talking about, and how in the world is that going to relate to my church today? Well, before we jump into the here, let me take a second and deal with that. And, And what Paul is doing is he's speaking to a specific situation in Timothy's church that we can take the principle from and apply it to our churches today. And see, the problem, as you read it, is, is you just ask the question, what does it say? What are, you, what are you observing? And what you're seeing is that there must have been a problem with some widows in the church. The church has limited resources, and Paul's main concern throughout that whole conversation is to make sure those who are truly widows, those widows who cannot support themselves because they are older and because in that culture, if you're a widow and you're older, you really can't hold a job, you may not even be able to own land or a house, and so they might really be in a bad situation. And he wants the church's resources to be able to go to those people who need it most, not spent on those who could have others helping them. And that's particularly true when you consider he talks about the widows who have children who aren't taking care of them. And specifically here, children in the church, and they really just want to pass off the care of their mother for instance, to the care of the church so they don't have to involve their resources in caring for their aging mother. Uh, and, and we would see that immediately and go, well, yeah, there's a problem with that. Well, that's what Paul's dealing with. He's dealing with the fact that you have families who are believers who just don't want to take care of their older family members. And so they they pass it off to the church because the government provided no assistance and they didn't have retirement homes like we have today, and so the church would take it upon themselves to take care of their aging members. Well, the issue is, again, limited resources, and if you had family members who could take care of you, what Paul is saying is he's telling Timothy to tell those people, take care of your family so that the church's resources can go to those who don't have family, who really are on their own. And then you also have this younger widow thing where you have these younger women who could still work, who could still give to society, who are choosing instead to remain idle and do nothing. And and Paul is saying, if you're able to work and if you're able to be productive, do that. Don't be a strain on the church's resources because you just don't want to work. Again, because if you do that, resources are finite, and therefore people who really need that care can't get it. These are very practical words Paul is giving the church. And and I want you to look into that, and, and as you read that, be finding those principles, the commonalities that are true throughout the whole conversation about widows. Don't get lost in the the maybe oddity of, what does he mean by widows here? What does he mean by all these different situations? 
that's an overview. You find the commonalities and you say this is the situation that Paul is dealing with as he speaks to Timothy, and that's how it can apply to ours. Our churches have limited resources. We need to save those resources for those who truly need it if we have that part of our budget in the churches, which is meant to care for those who are needy, those who have need, or those who find themselves suddenly in a bad position. The church will not have the resources if it's going out to people who could really take care of themselves, but by their own laziness just aren't doing it, or by their family's own selfishness not helping their families. So let's jump into the here, and I highlighted verse 20 of chapter 5, which says this, As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Now that might seem like an odd highlighted verse for you, and why would you highlight that? Well, I want to highlight something that sticks out to me as I read this in the in the presence of and in the context of instructions for a godly church, how do we deal with people who not just sin once, not just even have one big sin, but who are persisting in sin? And again, I want to point out in terms of church discipline, the go-to thing is not to publicly shame somebody. That's not what Paul is suggesting here. And as we get to the explain, I really want to explain this carefully. So let's jump into the explain. This chapter is full of practical instruction with widows and with people who persist in sin and other situations like that. A a common theme is that these instructions lead to godly living. And I want you to see that theme woven throughout the different conversations. Why? So that the church, the body of Christ, not the building, the body of Christ might be above reproach. If you have a leader or a member at a certain time, it it becomes right to call out their sin if they are persisting in sin. Now notice, as we explain this clearly here, notice the word persist. This means that you are aware of the sin and have talked with them privately and previously. Paul is not saying find someone who's in sin, call them out for it publicly and shame them. But this is someone who's persisted in sin, and he's been approached by others in the church saying, hey, you need to stop doing this. You need to repent. You need to turn back to Christ. And they don't. And in fact, they won't. They want to continue in the sin that they're doing. They're happy in their sin. And and they don't want to return to Christ. They don't want to fall under the submission of the church and the submission of the word. Ultimately, they do not want to submit to God. What is Paul's word to someone such as this, whether it be a leader or a member? It is to rebuke them in the presence of all. There's a time in church discipline where you bring it to the body of of Christ. You bring it in front of the whole church. And that might seem harsh to a lot of people. But I want you to notice Paul's intention. And this is why I picked it as my highlight What's fascinating is the context of how this and the reason why this is done the way it's done. So again, so you publicly rebuke these people. And this is not to be vindictive. And I want to highlight this. 
Paul's purpose in this is not to shame in the sense of, it's not to shame for shame's sake. It's not to be vindictive because they didn't listen to you. It's for this purpose in this purpose, but so that, and notice the word so that, that's a purpose clause, this rebuke may help others pursue, in our key word here, godliness. Notice again, so that the rest, the rest of the people may stand in fear, therefore pursuing godliness. So that as you publicly rebuke this person who's persisting in their sin and perhaps will leave the church as a result of that persistence, you are hoping that others see this and go, man, we don't want that to be us. And they will stop and repent and pursue godliness. That Paul's calling out of public sin and his calling out of people who persist in sin has salvific purposes, has redemptive purposes. So how do we apply that? Well, am I rebuking sin in my life? If I've noticed through my prayer life and through my reading of the word and and as I ask the Holy Spirit to reveal sin in my life, is there a persistent sin that I need to repent of and pursue godliness? Number two, I must submit to church discipline if I incur it, meaning if Church discipline is required. Will I submit to it? The hope is yes, because, again, we are submitted to the church as we are submitted to Christ. Number three, I must never rebuke sin vindictively, but with a godly purpose and a redemptive intention. Meaning, when I do call out someone's sin who is persistently continued in sin, let me do it not to be vindictive. Let me do it not to simply throw the Bible at them, but to hope that they would return to Christ and that others might pursue Christ. So those are three applications that I I got from this one verse, really. And as we get to the respond, we're in with this. Father, thank you that you give to us instructions in how to conduct ourselves that leads to godliness. Let me be diligent in practicing godliness so that in my life and the life of the church, you may be lifted high. Amen. Well, I'd like to thank you for listening to Rooted Together, and I look forward to joining you in 1 Timothy chapter 6 next time. I'll see you there.